I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there or meet them at a trade show or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them now at 514-488-3618 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. Today we've got Greg Cozero with us, and Greg's the Director of Marketing and Sales for Shell Crescent USA. Greg, thank you for being with us. Hey, Chad. Good to be with you today. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's pretty down here, too, which is nice after worrying about hurricanes last week. Why don't you start off with telling us what Shell Crescent USA is? Shell Crescent USA is a nonprofit, non-government organization formed about four and a half years ago with the idea of bringing jobs back to the region. And it was funded by a group of business and community leaders. And what they understood, we're in Parkersburg, Marietta, Parkersburg, West Virginia, Marietta, Ohio, right on the Ohio River. So we're in the what they call the Mid-Ohio Valley. And these folks knew that we had abundant resources. We had lots of natural gas, natural gas liquids. And what a lot of people don't realize is this is where it all started when it came to manufacturing. I've been to Houston and they're real proud of it. And they built an incredible complex down there in the Gulf Coast. And sometimes they even forget that the first cracker was in Clendenin, West Virginia by Union Carbide. And it's literally 10 miles from where I'm sitting right now here in the Charleston area. So this is where it all started. And they realized that there's an opportunity now because of this abundant energy of the shale gas and, and the natural gas liquids that we can bring industry back here. But they also realized that nobody knew. Just like when we went to Tokyo about two years ago, we were talking about this region, Shell Crescent, USA. And we had to rebrand it because everybody talked about Appalachia, which is, you know, it really gives you a good feeling or the Northeast and that's New York and Boston. And, you know, you really don't want to be in that crowd either. So we went to Tokyo and the, and the, the Japanese, they had no idea where we were. But when I told them that a third of the United States gas supply comes from Shell Crescent, USA, and 85% of the new gas comes from Shell Crescent, USA, and that if this region were a country, Chad, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, we would be the number three natural gas producer in the world. The only two places that beat this region is the rest of the United States without Shell Crescent mm-hmm. and Russia. 
I mean, that's how we have more gas than China's got. So they realized they had to get that message out there. And that's what we've been doing. Well, and I know, uh, so how we got connected, you heard our reshoring plea and efforts and everything that we want to do to bring manufacturing back here. And your area is just a natural for manufacturing. And, and frankly, your area has been hurt between the coal mining, you know, the loss of manufacturing overseas. And so talk about really all the cost advantages you have. You and I've talked offline. I know you've written some articles, you've been published and written books. And so talk about the advantages that you have that now can offset the idea of cheap labor in China. Because I know you and I talked and we want to bring all this stuff back because we feel like it's the right thing to do. But we now have an economic advantage. It's not only the good thing to do anymore. Now it makes mathematical sense. So walk us through the math of why it makes sense to manufacture certain goods in your area. Absolutely. We've known this at Shell Crescent because that's what we do. IHS Market's done two studies for it. They're a huge international organization. And in 2017, we were at World Petrochemical Conference. And the first study they did showed that it was four times more profitable to build a petrochemical plant here because this is what's really unique about our region is we've got this abundant feedstock. But what most people don't realize is 70% of the demand for polyethylene and polypropylene is within a day's drive of where I sit today. So that's a huge economic advantage when you can build on top of the feedstock and in the middle of your customers. And that was probably the big thing. But what's really changed is this whole pandemic thing. Because I'd say if you went to the average American, they know that we're getting stuff from China. I mean, this pen, made in China. Shocking, right? The computer I've got, made in China. My shirt, I don't remember, China or probably Thailand. So we know that we're getting stuff from them. But what we didn't know was the critical stuff, that we're getting 80% of our pharmaceuticals from outside the US. Much of that comes from China. now. Chad, you and I know, I've got, we've had dogs for a long time, and I wouldn't buy dog food if it was made in China, because I couldn't trust the quality. And, I, and all of a sudden, I realized my wife and I are taking prescription medications. Oh, yeah. Now, how good do you think that makes me feel, like, you know, made in China? Gee, did they have a bad day? Were they trying to, <laughs> I mean, how do you know, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what really got a lot of people's attention, but what really shocked the world, so all of a sudden, we need ventilators, we need masks, we need gloves, we need gowns and face shields. And guess what? Where the heck are they made? Mm-hmm. China. What a deal. So all of a sudden, we realized that the critical products that we needed to protect our frontline healthcare workers and the rest of us against this virus weren't made here. Now, we're starting to change that. But that was a real big item that why should we, you know, even hand sanitizer. I was in Kroger up here yesterday, and I got a choice. And guess what? They're the same damn price. Hand sanitizer made in China, hand sanitizer made in in Uh Texas. Guess where I bought? I bought the Texas ones. I've told people that I grew up in a little Mississippi town, less than 5,000 people. And when I grew up, my dad worked at a blanket factory, and my grandmother worked at a glove factory. And both those plants got shipped to China. And then, yeah. you know, and then when the pandemic hit, my brother's a nurse practitioner. So when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden we can't get enough gowns and masks and gloves. It just, it really made me mad. You know, so, so I've got this whole passion. Let's reshore so we never get in this situation again. However, I think the economics is really catching up to us. You know, China, oh, it, it really the, the labor is. over there, yeah, the labor over there was getting more expensive. 
and by the time you have the transportation costs. So, so you guys really feel you're competitive, I think, didn't you say, in metals and plastics? Talk about those two industries. Oh, so it's, it's so, so neat. And, and I think here's the difference is we knew that we've got what we have. Two things happened. One was advanced manufacturing. All of a sudden, and I think this is what slipped up on so many people, because you go back 20 years, probably when, you know, your folks were involved with that stuff, and they, we watched it go. Yeah. But they had cheap labor, and we were both getting our energy from the same place, OPEC. Suddenly, what's changed? Well, we have our own energy. We have a win when it comes to energy. We're cheaper. But the other thing that changed is all of a sudden, we've got advanced manufacturing. Their labor costs are going up just because their middle class wants more money. They're growing. So, so they're seeing a natural growth of their, their labor costs have already changed. But add advanced manufacturing to that. Let me give you just one example. I, just, I had a crown put in this too about three weeks ago. They take a mold and then they send it off and then they send this little, this little crown back. I said to my dentist, I said, by some chance, this crown isn't going to get made in China. And he starts laughing. And he said, no, but it used to be. <laughs> I said, what? He said, China was making it out of gold and porcelain. And I guess they make them by hand. Everything was great until they caught China because they were using nickel instead of gold. It was cheaper. He said, here's what's happened, Greg. He said, that crown is made here in the United States because it's made on a 3D printer. They use zirconium and ceramic. And all of a sudden, because of advanced manufacturing and our energy costs are actually cheaper because whether you use electricity or whatever, it's being made here. So that's just one little nicky neck product that all of a sudden we're more competitive than Chinese. And those are huge. Those are high tech manufacturing jobs. So advanced manufacturing, cheap energy. And if you're going to make something in the United and sell it to the United States market, particularly if you're going to sell it into the, mm-hmm. you know, New York, Pennsylvania, DC, you know, that kind of Detroit type thing here. But even if you're going to make anything and sell it to the United States market, the best place to make it is in the United States. And the most economic place in the United States is Shell Crescent because you're literally on top of the feedstock and the people that are making polyethylene, polypropylene, they're already, those companies that are making the, the glass bottles and, and you name it, these, these little, they're all here. That's a triple win. Advanced manufacturing, feedstock that's the cheapest in the world because it's you're close to it and you've got your natural gas and even your electricity we've got an experienced labor force that knows what they're doing because they've been doing this since the beginning of this whole thing back 100 years ago so you add all that and the fact that like you mentioned earlier we've eliminated that transportation because what we were doing some of china's energy was coming from us so we're sending natural gas to china and natural gas liquids mm-hmm. They're turning it into a product and shipping it right back here to the United States. It's crazy. That's the win. And I think what, to your point, I think what most people didn't grasp is the cheap labor. They understood energy, but I was shocked. I've had to go through this like three times before they begin to grasp that China no longer has a labor. Well, talk about your organization. So I know you've got a various different, some energy companies are investors and and some actual industries are investors. So talk about kind of how it's structured and, we do a lot of economic development work, so we see public organizations, private, public, private. So talk about the, the investors in your organization, what y'all are trying to accomplish. And I know y'all started before the pandemic, so kind of talk about what you've led up until now, which is now's probably the time to really go hard. <laughs> it really is. And our challenge right in the middle of the pandemic was 
you know, since we're a nonprofit, we weren't generating a lot of non-income because everybody was worried about staying in business. We're getting some support from foundations and from organized labor, but our big contributors are industry. You know, if you're in the oil and gas industry, one thing this organization does, the oil and gas industry doesn't do a very good job of marketing itself. Nobody's out there promoting, or very few are promoting natural gas, buy more natural gas. We're not seeing that. We're not even seeing them try to push that. We are. What we're telling folks is this is the one place, if you're in the oil and gas industry, what this industry does, when we bring industry back here, they're going to use energy. They're going to use natural gas. They're going to use natural gas liquids. So what happens for the average oil and gas producer, they're going to have customers that are closer to the wellhead. Instead of putting that gas onto a interstate pipeline and sending it to the East Coast or sending it south to Texas or west to, to Chicago, they can sell it to the plant across the street and save that interstate pipeline charge. So those folks are supporting us. Industry is supporting us because if you're if you sell stuff into the manufacturing industry, they want to see more more of that here. If you're in the construction business, if you're if you're in the engineering business, so we're getting a lot of support from those kind of service supply people that want want to see the area grow. So it's a combination of things. We've been really blessed with that, Chad. It, it's it's made a big difference. What's really exciting now is the results because what we're able to do. You know, all the states, just like, you know, where you live, the states are out promoting. But what we've seen is, God bless them, they do the best they can. But we seem to be able to reach out and, and people talk to us because they know that we're, we don't care. If you build a plant in West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter as long as you come to the region. Mm -hmm. So they're willing to talk to us and tell us things they wouldn't tell the states because they know that, you know, we'll give them an honest answer. I've been in sales my whole life and I've been 40 plus years in the oil and gas industry. So it seemed like I was, even as a manager, I was promoting and selling to our customers. So what we know is you got to take care of your customers. You got to communicate with them. If, you know, if I see an article that one of my our prospects might need, we're working with a recycler over across the pond. There was an article in plastics news. I fired it out to their VP. She fired back. She said, wow, this is great. So we're constantly working with people creating value and creating a reason for them to come. And I think that's, that's a big difference. They're always going to talk to the States. We know that. Right. And that's great. But we're that organization that's not part of that mm -hmm. state organization. And we can move just like business. We can move really fast. If there's something we need to do, if we need to put out a study, we don't have to wait six months to decide. I mean, we'll make that decision in a matter of days. I mean, that's the kind of, and, and that's what you, I'm sure what your organization is. Right. You guys can move. Quickly. And that's the advantage of small and medium-sized businesses. Thank you, Greg. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Greg Cosera after this. I want to thank Location One. Some folks know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. Location One has, in my opinion, the best building and sites database in the economic development industry. I am often asked by economic developers, Chad, if you were an economic developer again, what would be the first thing you'd do? And it is without question, without question, first thing I'd do would be put my builders and sites on Lois. And let me tell you why that would be. Number one, I always did economic development in small to mid-sized towns, and one of our struggles was just getting eyeballs on our properties. That was our struggle. Lois overcomes that struggle for you. So the mistake I used to make is I would just put my buildings and sites on the state economic development database. Well, every time I did economic development, I was close to a border, so I was basically bordered another state. 
And anybody looking for buildings just across the way in the other state wouldn't find my buildings because I only had it on my state economic development website. I couldn't have made a dumber move looking back, but hey, it's what I did. When you advertise your buildings and sites on Lois, it goes to a nationwide database. So prospects looking for a certain site or certain building in the whole country can find you based on the parameters they put in. If they're looking at a radius, they're probably going to find you if they're looking in the state next door if your building or site is on Lois. It's also the most responsive friendly I have seen. So I love looking at buildings and sites on my iPad. I much rather look on my iPad when we're doing site selection work in the field than on my computer. Computer. And I have found Lois is basically the only big buildings and sites database I've found that works well on my iPad. A lot of the other ones, they just don't work as well. They tear the thing down. They don't remember your, your search query. If you put in 50,000 feet and you back it out, it forgets it. They're just hard to deal with. Lois is not. It's easy to use. It's just as easy for economic developers as it is site selectors. It walks you through inserting your information. So it tells you, place your gas line information here. Place your water line information here so you don't have to guess. You don't have to know code to make this thing work. But most importantly, once you push save, once you enter your information, it's going to go on a nationwide database, which is going to get a ton, a ton of eyeballs on your builders and sites. Way more than you'd get on them on your own if you just put it on your website or advertise it on the state economic development website. It also inputs ESRI data for radiuses of your buildings and sites. So a prospect's not just looking at a building or site when they find your information. They can actually see information about your labor force. You don't even have to put it in there. It does it for you automatically. This is the best buildings and sites database I have found. I encourage you to go to location1.com, sign up for a demo, see how this thing works. Transition to location one. You'll be real happy you did. Well, I know in reading your article, so you said that when companies made the decision to offshore some of this production, that was probably the right decision for them and their shareholders then, but now the right decision is to come back for various reasons. So just talk through kind of what happened in the 90s and why it's time to bring it back now. What has changed in 20 years' time? This is what I love about, thrills me about American technology and ingenuity, because, you know, you're old enough that you weren't that old, but you probably remember a little bit about the energy crisis. Oh, yeah, yeah. You probably don't remember the Arab oil embargo. I doubt that you were born. I now. don't remember the, yeah. <laughs> but but we've, we've known since the 70s, and that's why we started losing industry out of the country initially, because we didn't have energy. The Gulf Coast did a great job of holding on to it. Our region didn't. We became the Rust Belt. Companies literally left because China had a labor advantage. We lost our energy advantage. The reason mm -hmm. for them to stay. So now what's happened, starting in about 2006, seven, when right in the middle of that energy crisis, horizontal drilling, hydraulic fracturing, the whole shale revolution came to be. And that was the game changer. And most people, I just painted the, the room that we're in uh, with my wife. And one back, I was, we were pulling out some old papers that we'd saved, had some of my articles. And I'm amazed that back in the 70s, everybody was worried about wind and solar being that replacement for oil and gas. Well, it ain't happened yet. And nobody thought we could drill our way out of it. So again, American technology, that ability to drill underground three miles, go 10,000 feet deep and out three miles and create these mammoth wells, that was the game changer that brought our energy here. And most companies didn't see it happening. So 
you look at that thing. First, it was the energy advantage. And now we've got this long-term energy advantage that China doesn't have without getting into the technology of it. There's some reasons why it has to do with the Himalaya Mountains where they're situated, that China can't do what we're doing. I mean, they literally, if they wanted to develop their shells, Mother Nature has really screwed them. <laughs> I mean, I'll be as blunt as I can. So we have this huge energy advantage. And now what were they left with? Labor. And suddenly advanced manufacturing takes out of them. So I think what's happened, a lot of American businesses didn't see that coming. And, and even when we were on stage at World Petrochemical in 2018, the Gulf Coast didn't see what was going on up here. And it literally, can you imagine a little, you know, if you're a class A big chemical company, you're looking at your competitors, you're looking at government, you're looking across the pond. You're not expecting a small nonprofit from Marietta, Ohio to show up on stage with an IHS study that says, you know, if you're going to build a cracker, it's about four times cheaper if you build it in the Ohio Valley than than on the Gulf Coast. They're not looking for that. And most of them didn't expect that. And the same thing has happened to these smaller manufacturers no one was looking ahead to see what's happening in energy and they didn't realize the big deal of advanced manufacturing and that's the change and i think chad no matter where we are in this united states what i tell manufacturers is look at what you can make and if that product is being made in china or someplace else outside the united states there's a good possibility you can make it cheaper here. We did a study on just a simple toothbrush. And if you look, go to your grocery store, most toothbrushes, probably 80, 90% are made in China or somewhere, but usually China. We saw just because of the energy advantage and advanced manufacturing advantage, you can make that same toothbrush 22% cheaper here in the United States. A now, toothbrush, is that right? A toothbrush, not just one of an immeasurable amount of product. We took a tour of one of the plants in the region that makes, you know, these thin fibers. Basically, you know, you can use them for bristles. And I, I asked him, I said, what do you do with those things? He said, well, they go to where there's a local brush company. A lot of them are, they can use them for bristles for toothbrushes. Didn't think about it at the time, Chad. I called the guy in the middle of this pandemic thing, and I said, tell me something. Those toothbrush bristles you make, where do they go? He said, they go to China. So think about this. <laughs> we make the bristles here. We send them to China. China, somebody puts a handle on them, puts them in a package, and where the hell do they send them? They send them back here. And I said, now surely to God, someone here in these United States can make a handle and put it with those bristles. I mean, you know? Yeah, That's yeah. the stuff that nobody's thinking ahead that, well, wait a minute, why can't we make it? Well, I think you're right. I think this has caught us by such shock. I think we all knew when we went to Walmart, most of that stuff was coming from China. But but I don't think any of us, at least I, I never thought we had put our national security in jeopardy. And, you know, I, I just never... And I think that's what's been shocking about this whole thing. Well, I know your background in environmental engineering. So talk through the whole energy from an environmental standpoint. You know, you got people pushing the green energy deal. That's not real good for West Virginia and Pennsylvania and Ohio. Well, it's, it's bigger than that. It's not good for the United States. Or it's not good for the average American. By background, I've been in the oil and gas industry for 40 years. And, And when I looked at, I did a book, came out in 2012 called Just the Fracks. It's the truth about hydraulic fracturing. And we had the anti show up at my book signing here in Charleston. And it was funnier than Dickens because I looked at this guy. He was head of the Green Party in West Virginia. And I said, you know something? I said, I can tell you by the work I've done. I said, myself and the oil and gas industry have done far more for the environment than you guys have. And I thought, you know, he's going to come back with something. Do you know what he came back with? 
and in front of a whole, my soccer team, high school soccer team, their parents, he drops the F-bomb on me. And he's just cussing, and he didn't have anything facts. He was just trying to, to attack me. And I'm thinking, we got it. And, and here's what's going on. The United States, what most people may not even realize, because of natural gas that we've been producing throughout the country, we are on track. The only country in the world that's on track to meet the Paris Agreement. We're not in it. Trump pulled us out of it. But doesn't matter. We're going to be the only major nation that meets it because of, primarily because of the use of natural gas. And our natural gas, Chad, isn't just cleaning up the air here. We're shipping it to places like India. My pastor is from India. And there was a big, about four, three or four years ago, NPR did a story about how bad the air was in New Delhi. And half the school-age kids had COPD. That's serious business. And I was talking to my pastor about it. He said, you know, that's true, Greg. But he said, the last time I was over there, when I was over there last year, he said, he said, the air's cleaner. And I said, what's going on, Father? He said, they're using natural gas. Well, I also know that the natural gas they're using is American natural gas. So that's what we're doing for the air. But the rest of the story is this whole manufacturing in the United States. It's a sustainability thing. Think about it. China's getting energy from somewhere, U.S., Middle East. That takes carbon footprint just to send that energy to China. Then they're going to make it over there. Well, we all know that China's environmental procedures aren't anywhere near what ours are. Matter of fact, we can't even keep up with them. No matter what we do to reduce CO2, they beat us. I mean, they're pouring more garbage into the atmosphere than we ever thought about. So you don't really want to manufacture over there anyways, but that's what's happening. You got that. And then you're, they're going to ship that same stuff back here, more carbon footprint. So imagine from a sheer sustainability standpoint, the energy's produced here. It's here literally under the plants practically. And when you make a product, under American environmental law, and you sell it here, our carbon footprint is, it's a fraction of what it is to ship energy to China to make something and ship it back here. So anybody that is a true environmentalist has got to be supportive of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other thing, it's a little scary. You look at that Green New Deal. I actually read it. 95, they used a think tank model from Great Britain. 95% is wind and solar. We know that the wind doesn't blow all the time, the sun doesn't shine all the time. The other 5% is hydroelectric and wave power. Well, that, what that tells me is 5% of the electricity that they planned for the United States is going to be dependable. The other 95% don't plan on watching your TV at 10 o'clock at night. I mean, that's the, and the other thing that everybody forgets, Chad, is when we're talking about oil and gas, isn't just about energy, it's about feedstock. I mean, this, this pen, the cell phone, our computers, all require petrochemicals. Well, those come from natural gas liquids that come from oil and gas wells that have all been fracked. And you take away oil and gas, now where are you going to get those feedstocks? Right. OPEC, Russia. Right. So that's the rest of the story is we have the feedstocks. And that's, that's actually more important than the energy. Thank you, Greg. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back with a lot more with Greg Cosera after this. On June 4th, Next Move Group launched a new initiative called The Movement, which is really designed to do three different things. One, help economic developers improve their quality of lives by making more money. Two, helping economic development organizations land more deals. And three, by helping economic development organizations recruit jobs back home from China. 
You have probably seen emails of various different video courses that were sending out as part of the movement. And I'll tell you so far, the two most popular courses have been these. One, board training for economic development board members and elected officials. What are their proper roles and responsibilities? And more importantly, what their roles and responsibilities are not. And our other bestseller so far has been how to help small to mid-sized rural communities build a systemic machine-like program to land manufacturing plants, where they don't just land one manufacturing plant, but where they land many manufacturing plants. We are selling these just one right after the next. So one, thank you. We have actually sold about 300% more memberships and revenue than we anticipated we would sell at this point in time. So thank you to all of our members. If you've not joined the movement, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement to learn more about it. Thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. You can either join on a monthly basis and receive all our content at once, or you can just buy one piece of content at a time. That's thenextmovegroup.com backslash movement. Well, walk us through what you did before you joined Shell Crescent. Been in the oil and gas industry for 40 years, worked 34 of that for Halliburton frack companies. So I was involved with fracking. We did that. So I was worked through man, engineering up through management and sales manager, worked for a drilling company for a year and multiple other service companies. And my wife and I, our business is learn leadership. We do employee development for folks. So we help leadership training, safety training. Matter of fact, my wife does a great thing on diabetes and, and healthy eating. So what we can do to help companies on that side of what I'm doing primarily now is the marketing and sales for Shell Crescent. And it's, right. it's a ball because I can see the results. We can actually see the jobs we're creating in this region. And it's exciting, Chad. It really is. Yeah. And so tell the folks, so if they're just picturing, I'm looking at your website, we'll put that with our email, but, but if they're just picturing, you've literally got a crescent there from West Virginia to Ohio to Pennsylvania. So for the folks who are listening to this and can't picture exactly where you are, how would you describe it? You're sort of a southeast of city. Basically, you're from Pittsburgh south through Ohio and West Virginia. Is that kind of how you would Right. If it? you look at it, actually, if you just took those three states, if you took Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, but if you actually drew a football around the Ohio River from Pittsburgh to, let's say, Ashland, Kentucky, if you did a, a big oval, like a long football, that would be primarily the area we work into. We're seeing U.S. companies that are, that are moving here. We're, we're working with companies from Asia that are even through this pandemic, Chad, they're, they're moving forward. So it's exciting to see those kinds of things. And then it's not just the company, but people think about engineering firms, banking. I mean, you know, the one company we're working with from Asia, they were here at Christmas time. I said, how else can we help you? And he says, well, Greg, he says, we've got our, our own bank, but he said, we need a regional bank so that we can have them for loans and handle our payroll and all this other stuff. So again, you think of all the other businesses, when someone comes here and builds a manufacturing center, it's construction, it's the little flower shop because people are making 80 to 90,000 a year. They can afford to buy their spouse flowers. Mm. You know, if you're working at a fast food place, you probably can't do that. So it's really exciting to see what this means for the United States, but it's really important that, you know, through this whole political, I mean, forget the politics as much as look at the candidates and look at what they're saying about energy, because we can't, every well's fracked. And if we would ever ban fracking, there is no such thing. You don't bring manufacturing here without fracking. Even, you know, a lot of the renewable jobs, and I'm not against wind and solar, they're, they're making windmills and solar panels here. Those require petrochemicals. They require energy. You can't make a windmill or solar panel 
here without fracking. So what that really means, if you, if you really care about renewables, you want them made here because that's good jobs. To have our windmills and solar panels made in China and shipped here, we just lost the brunt of the good renewable job. But right today, this is we have this huge advantage. It's a generational advantage to bring industry back here. And that's the challenge, I think, for all Americans. What we can all do, just like I did yesterday, when you're in the grocery store or buying something, to your point, look where it's made. Mm. And first, you may find it. If you buy it in the United States, if it's a U.S. product, it may be cheaper because generically it should be. But if it's the same price and I got a choice of buying hand sanitizer from Texas or hand sanitizer from China or a mask from China or a mask mm-hmm. that's made here in the United States, that's our call. We can do that. We can go to those store managers and say, hey, you keep bringing those masks in there from China. That's fine. But I'm going to tell my neighbors not to buy it. Yeah. So there's a lot, we have a lot of power as, as individuals. Well, I know you're making the rounds on this topic because on June 26, you were on the podcast with Supply Chain Brain talking about breaking America's resilience on manufacturing in China. So I know you're, uh, you're not just talking to our show. You're, you're really making the rounds. Oh, it was, it's been, it's been fun. And, and, you know, even with those guys, you know, a lot of people didn't even think about, you know, when we were had, were shut down because of COVID, I was surprised most of the manufacturers because that's a lot of our network, they didn't shut down. When they were shut down because of the virus, it was because sometimes one piece was made in China. And that one piece, if it's made in China, you can't finish the product. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen small manufacturers, a good friend of mine, he's got two plants here in West Virginia. I called him during the middle of this pandemic thing. And he said, Greg, I'm busy. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I transitioned. We were making switch boxes. He said, now I'm making ventilator parts. So we're, mm-hmm. people are getting the word out there. I was on uh, Westwood One a couple weeks ago, First Light. So we're getting on a lot of national shows. We've probably been on since mid-March, getting on to almost 50 radio shows as a guest. From, wow. That's Boston to Miami to KOX in St. Louis to West Coast from San Diego to Seattle. So people want to know. The, the average American, they all get it. There's matter of fact, nobody is against bringing manufacturing back. We need to seize the moment. I appreciate what you do because that's getting the message out to all Americans. We need to, we need to be serious about this thing. And, and I think Americans do get it. And I, I think I told you, I've told other people, everybody says, well, Americans aren't going to go to Walmart and pay 25 cents less or they're going to just buy the cheapest thing. I don't know. I don't know they'll do that anymore. <laughs> My dad's one of 10 kids. He was raised in a farm family in Mississippi. And those are prideful people. I think they would gladly pay an extra quarter to get it from America. If we I agree, somehow organized our stores into American Isle versus China Isle, I think the Americans would gladly pay an extra quarter or dollar or whatever <laughs> for most of their oh, goods. Hey, absolutely. And if you think about what that means, if I buy that American product, that's made here, those people are getting paid here. So they're getting wages. They're not on unemployment. So they're actually getting, again, a lot of our manufacturing jobs are $80,000 a year jobs. What are they doing? They're buying, they're going to our restaurants, they're leaving tips, they're buying from local businesses. So when we buy American products, we're keeping that money here in the United States. They're paying taxes on it. So when we buy, we may save that quarter when we buy it from China, but the big money, the manufacturing wages and all those secondary jobs, one manufacturing job provides five other spinoff mm-hmm. jobs. So when that happens, China gets those spinoff jobs. We don't. And so uh, you're right. That's, it's good economics, even if it's a little more expensive to buy yeah. here in the United States. 
Hey, Greg, as we wind down, is there anything you'd like to share with our audience that hadn't asked you about yet? You know, it's something that Americans need to think about. And, and we talked about this region as being the Gulf Coast has been there. They're going to be there forever. There are petrochemical, but we need a backup. We need a second petrochemical hub because of things like the hurricane we just had this last week. And we, we experienced that through Hurricane Harvey, that the people that make the products that require those polyethylene pellets, they couldn't get them in some cases for over a month because they were underwater or they couldn't move a rail car. Yeah. So from a national security standpoint, from a even security for making PPE, it's good policy. And that's one of the things we're working on in this region. But companies should think about that option that we get the end game of the hurricane. We don't get the hundred mile an hour winds up here. So it's probably good business for our country. If you think in terms of a, a second, a backup petrochemical hub. And as we feel like Shell Crescent USA has everything it needs to be that. And we're already seeing that. We got the shell cracker under construction. We got a couple other ones working. We've got the basic infrastructure because we've been around for a long time. So we're starting to move in that direction. But again, a good thought to ponder for everybody. Yeah, well, and you know, I, there was a, one of the plants in Lake Charles, I remember the day after the storm, of course, you know, that hurricane has been really bad over in the Lake Charles area. And the day after the storm, I remember it was on fire. I can't remember which one it was, but I remember it was on fire the day after. I'm quite sure they're not back into production yet. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, we had to fight this every summer down here. So. Well, God bless you. I mean, it's, I got a lot of good friends in Louisiana and, and Texas, particularly the Houston area. So it's a challenge. And, you know, I can't even begin to imagine what it'd be like to come back to your house and find that the roof's gone and, and everything is soaking wet. So, I appreciate what they do and our prayers are, are with everybody from those that are, are hurt. But even if you got to go through all that with a house, it's, I'm sure it's not fun. Yeah. All right. Well, Greg, thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. Good stuff. Thank you.